Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to everybody in this room and all those joining us online. Special shout out and welcome to them as well. We're in this series on the life of David. I hope you're enjoying the series. We started a couple weeks ago. 1 Samuel 16 is where David's story starts, and it starts where he is the least qualified, least expected, least likely, not so put together life, always working through something kind of a life. The the Bible word for that in Hebrew is called a hagaton. It's the Dennis Barrows of the world who says, I am just some ordinary guy here in Zionsville who I feel like God wants me to do something. This is how this works, right? David is the eighth son. He thought for sure the seven older sons would be the ones actually getting the crown, you know, like surely not me. He's out in the, David didn't even come to the party where they're going to anoint the next king. He was a forgotten. He's a leftover, always working through stuff. So we looked a couple weeks ago at this is how God gets his stuff done in this world. He takes the average, the ordinary, the not-so-put-together life, the always-working-through-something life, we always got issues and something we're dealing with. Yep, that's it right there. And he says, I pick you. And then right after God picks him and anoints him, and then David finds himself in the valley of Elah in a holy, crazy moment with a nine-foot giant named Goliath. And everybody else is cowering in fear, last week's message, right? And David decides instead of cowering in fear... He has this vision about who God is, that there's only one giant in David's life, and that giant is so big, it just kind of right-sized Goliath, so he ran with courage toward that Philistine, and with one smooth stone and a sling, took him down, and that's where we left the story off. And some of you come in seeing some Goliaths fall in your life, and we heard a story last week about that from a young lady named Nicole, and how inspiring is it when we see God moving a mountain and answering a prayer and coming through and and seeing a Goliath fall, because we've all got our battles, right? We've all got some Goliath we're staring at. And yet, there's also the reality that some of you come in this morning, right, and your nine-foot Goliath is just like with David. You know, it was, he kept coming out into the valley and shouting his defiance for 40 straight days, like week after week. Goliath is still there, still seemingly dominating and shouting, and some of you come in, and that's the case. You feel like Goliath is continuing to dominate your valley of Elah. And I'm so glad that you're here because here's how we practice and work the muscles. If you feel like your Goliath is still dominating your valley of Elah, then this is the muscle we work. We come together on Sundays, and here's what I pray happens when we're in this setting, through songs, through stories we hear, Scripture, preaching, community, prayers we pray that when you leave, that God gets just a little bit bigger and that that Goliath gets a little bit more reframed and right-sized. That's my prayer because some of you are walking right out back into your valley and having to stare down that nine-foot Philistine. But there's only one giant in David. I'm so inspired by David that way that he just had such a vision for who God, that Yahweh was with him. And Yahweh was greater than that Philistine god, Dagon, and it was a day where he said, that's time for that god to fall. And so that's where we left David off. And it was, I mean, can you picture it? So he takes Goliath's sword out after he knocks him down, the stone embeds itself in Goliath's head, and he decapitates Goliath with his own sword. Isn't that cool? It's kind of like a Braveheart moment, right? Takes his head up like that. Can you hear the shout on the eastern banks of the Valley of Elah? The Israelites are shouting as David has his head in his hand, and then the Philistines are like, ah, freak out, you know, because that means Israelites are declared the winner. A bunch of Philistines are about to die, and that whole scene happens, and the Philistines are pushed back. And now 
there's a new hit song on Israelite radio. That's where we're at today. There's a new hit song on the radio, and the king, Saul, isn't liking the new hit song, but Saul, because Saul takes David, no doubt. Now, Saul's the first king, right? David's anointed a second king, and Saul sees David's leadership there and sees how God uses him, and he's a smart that way. He's like, well, you know what? I'm going to bring David in and like promote him, bring him into my ranks and promote him and give him more responsibility. So he brings David into that, and everything David puts his hands to tends to go pretty well. So this is 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. If you haven't already, open up your Bibles there or pull out your app. You can pull out the message notes, and you also have them in the bulletin there. Whatever Saul, this is verse 5, whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. Verse 6, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's Goliath, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Uh Uh-oh. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. That's not a common word today. It means irritated or frustrated. It really got under Saul's skin. Saul says, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So you see the the new hit song on the radio, the first king's not feeling it, right? David's slain tens of thousands, Saul only thousands. And now... Now, David's going to start into a sequence of his life where he's going to learn something here that we all all learn. All you got to do is live enough life, right? You're going to learn that not everyone you come into contact with really likes you. I'm playing Pastor Obvious here for a minute, I guess. So, it's like Eugene Peterson. He said it, he said it better than I could say it. Here's what Peterson said. Not everyone shares God's excellent attitude toward us. Isn't that great? Do you remember the first time you discovered in your life that not everyone looks upon you and likes you? Do you remember when you first discovered that? I was in my mid-20s or so. I left Eli Lilly, systems analyst world, marketing world, and I came to Eagle Church, and I, I started into this thing called pastoral ministry, and I went to seminary and started working in that, and it was, it was great. So many of you here are still here. Your Dennis remembers me way back then. The Swathwoods remember me. There's some people around who remember me way back then in those, in those early days. And, and I remember the first time I grasped that not everyone looks favorably upon me. It was through an anonymous comment card slid under my door. I'd never heard of such a thing before. We used to call them blue cards in the Eagle day. Eagle was kind of into blue back in the early days. Blue chairs, see that? Blue cards. It was like Eagle blue. We had these bright blue cards that you'd fill out. You were connect cards. And I had a connect card slid under my office door one day. And it was anonymous. I hadn't received one of those before. And then I read it. And this person proceeded to outline all kinds of things about my life, my character, my leadership, my preaching. And it went, the list went quite long. Like, you know, the, the comic card was like filled up. 
all about the thing. The net of it was, it wasn't a favorable conclusion about me. And there was no name. That wasn't super helpful, you know. And I remember a few months goes by, another one. And then I learned, I started talking to some older pastors. I said, how does this work in, is this normal? And they're like, oh, Pastor Eric, that's just like, that's normal pastoral life. I said, well, that's not super great at all. Like, so years go by, and I, recently I was telling the staff some of this story, and I was saying to the staff, I said, hey, I'm super excited. Like, I haven't gotten an anonymous comment card in like so long. Like, I'm, I'm just feeling really good about this. And I was just kind of going on about it. I feel really good. I, I mean, no one's like commenting. I'm sure I'm irritating several of you, but at least you're withholding whatever that irritation is. But So I was feeling really great about it. And I noticed a couple of our staff were kind of like whispering and like sheepishly grinning at each other during this. You know where this is going? So a couple of our staff had decided several months ago that an anonymous card came in that had less than favorable comments about me or anyone else, they were just going to shred them. They start shredding them. Because here's what they said. There can be nothing productive and helpful that come. We can't have a dialogue about anything. It's just a one-way dump of whatever it is we don't like about whatever. And then, so they start. they were shredding all these. So here I thought six months going, I was like on a great run. I'm like, no, no, it really hasn't been that way. We just been shredding them all. <laughs> oh, it was so great. That was so much fun. And it's been so relieving to my soul, though. I just let them keep shredding those, I guess. But here's the interesting thing. In my 20-plus years of doing this, I've yet to receive one anonymous compliment. I think that says something about our human condition, right? We've never had any problem signing anonymous, right, praise or compliment or affirmation. But we have a more difficult conversation to have. So this is David. Like, at some point, we're going to enter the school of not everyone around you has God's favorable attitude towards you. And what do we do with that? So here's David, who's been anointed. Now remember, David was out in the field just doing his job. He wasn't looking for something new to do. God says, I pick you. So David's doing the right thing. He's doing the God thing. He's doing the good thing, the noble thing, the honoring thing. David's doing what God would want us to do with our life. And he's now on the receiving end of someone who really doesn't like him and has a ton of resources to deploy to make David's life miserable. This is the stage of the story we're in now. And so this morning we're going to look at, here's the question for the morning, how is God coming to us in this space? When we're attempting to do the right thing, the noble thing, the good thing, the God thing, and yet our life is bracketed with evil or injustice or betrayal or hurt or anger, what do we do in that space? How is God coming to us in that? And I think this is part of David's story. Look at verse 10. So the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. Now, that sentence deserves a whole lengthier conversation. Let me just say in summary here, all right? So the word evil there can also be translated uh, distressing. 
So I don't want you to equate like there's some, like God's not the source of evil that way. There's not like darkness in God that way. But here's what it, God's allowing some distressing experiences for Saul because Saul is on a path of rebellion and he is, uh, he's been pushing against God's ways for quite some time. And he's going down a road where God's basically allowing his life to unravel. So this is a point, right? We know this sometimes in life, right? We exercise our free will. We choose to stiff arm God and do it our way, whatever. At some point, God lets us kind of experience the full measure of our unraveling in an attempt to hopefully get at some things. Now, interestingly with Saul, in his distressing experiences, who did he reach out to? David. He had David come and play the harp for him. David's a crazy musician, warrior. He's crazy, this, this guy. So he's playing the harp for him, and Saul would get a little relief but Saul, Saul's schizophrenic, like he's getting relief from David, and then like the next day he's throwing a javelin at him trying to kill him. But, but, but that's what happens when you start going down this road of rebellion and resistance to God and what he's doing. And so Saul's on the wrong road, and it's getting darker and darker. And so here's what happens. He's prophesying in his house. So see, there's this schizophrenic thing with Saul. He's got this God thing going on where he's like trying to speak God's words in one, in one breath. And while David was playing the harp, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. <laughs> Saul tries to kill David six times directly. Three times he tries to throw his spear at him. Twice, he tries to like bribe David with a beautiful daughter of his. So he says, hey, David, would you like one of my daughters? Because if you have one of my daughters, this could be really great for you. But he attaches a bride price to the daughter, and the bride price was to have to go kill a bunch of Philistines. So in Saul's head, it's like, I'm going to set the bride price so high that David's going to get slaughtered trying to take on all those Philistines. So it was a manipulative thing. So twice he tries to do that, which, by the way, both times David just handles all the, the Philistines that way. And then once he hires a group of assassins to go to David's house and take him out. Six times. When you're the king, you do, do those crazy things. And that's David. On the, David's doing the right thing, the noble thing, the good thing, the God thing. He's trying to handle things the way God wants it done. And Saul is off the rails. He's com coming completely unraveled. And his focus is on taking the new hit song off the radio. I'm taking David out. I'm shutting that song down. And so here's the, so we got, the question is, how does God come to us in this space? And here's the first insight we get from chapter 18. Back up to verse 1. Here's how God goes before David. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So here's the first way God comes to us when we're doing good yet enduring evil. It's through sacred friendship. Do you see that God provides David a friend, a friend named Jonathan? And in, now, Jonathan, Jonathan is Saul's son. Can you climb into this story here a minute? He's the son of the current king, which means he would have rightful heir, right? Like, I'm going to take the throne when dad dies type 
would be in his bloodlines there, but he knows God's already appointed David to take that role. And here's Jonathan. You don't see him feeling particularly threatened by David. You see Jonathan becoming the kind of sacred friend in a time of great need in David's life that we all know we need at different places. I love what Eugene Peterson said. This is how Peterson wrote it. He said, someone enters your life who isn't looking for someone to use, is leisurely enough to find out what's really going on in us, is secure enough not to exploit our weaknesses or attack our strengths, recognizes our inner life and understands the difficulty of living out our inner convictions and confirms what's deepest within us, a friend. Do you have a friend like that? Is there someone coming to mind? Is there a face or a name coming to mind? Someone who just sits with you, loves you, listens to you, counsels you, corrects you, helps you see, sift through like, you know what, I don't, I don't think that's really true of you. I think that might be more true of you, kind of sift through the noise and understand what, the, uh, what comments to internalize and which ones to shred, those kinds of, do you have people in your life like that? That's a friend. And some of you do, and, and those names and faces, and those are wonderful gifts from God. Do you know that that's one of the ways God comes to us when we're in the midst of enduring? Our life is bracketed by evil, and you say, God, where are you in this mess? To open our eyes and look, I suspect one way he's there and present and near and active is you have a Jonathan in your life. You have someone beside you. You have someone who hasn't given up on you. You have someone who's praying for you who's sending you the text, who's inviting you out for coffee or having the lunch or pressing into some tough conversations that you know took a lot of courage to press into. That's a Jonathan. It's a wonderful gift to have a friend like that. That's God. God at work in that, in that space. And then some of you are also saying, man, I don't have anyone in my life like that. Do you know the best way to, like, have a Jonathan is you become one. You become one to someone else. You just say, you know what? I'm going to take initiative. I'm going to be a blessing to someone else's life. I'm going to pour myself into someone else's brokenness and mess and heartache and own valley of Elah. I'm going to help someone through their own goal. You, you be a Jonathan to someone else. I found those who have many Jonathans in their life are great Jonathans with others. They're just giving themselves away to serve others, help others. Not always easy. You sit with people in places that are difficult and complicated and messy, and, and you love them enough to affirm them when they need to be affirmed, correct them when they need to be corrected, pray for them, counsel them, guide them. That's Jonathan. What we're going to see in David's story is this. God inserted Jonathan into his life because he knew this. There's no possible way David was going to make it through this next section of the journey without Jonathan. He wasn't going to make it. He needed a friend. And I think about us as a church. You know, this is a big deal for us as a church. You want to know a big part of what Eagle's about? It's about this. We say it around here, more together every day. The word together, that's our, that's our phrase for sacred friendships. We work hard at trying to create environments where we can just see Jonathan-type friendships spark and flourish and grow. Like, that's what we're doing around here. That's why, that's why we do, like, men's and women's classes on Wednesday nights, and those were great Wednesday nights. But you know what the long-term fruit we pray happens out of that? Sacred friendships. 
that there would be friendships of depth, that there would be people who would journey together and pray together and stay together and, and band together. That, that's a big, that's why we do Alpha. That's why we do EHS. That's why we do life groups and mentoring groups. Why are we doing it? Why do we do summer socials this summer? What's all this about? It's this. Because life is hard. If you're not in the middle of a valley of Elah dealing with a nine-foot Goliath, if you don't have a Saul breathing down your neck right now, even though you're trying to do the right thing, the noble thing, the God thing, the good thing, if your life isn't bracketed by evil, just keep living. David's story is not an ideal story. It is a real story. I think that's why God preserved it for us. It's real life. This is real stuff. Some of you are in the middle of exactly what David's in. You're doing the right thing. You're honoring God. You're taking steps. You're even here in the midst of all of that. But you've got so much coming against you. You've got so many things that are not right, and, and this shouldn't be that way. Yes, yes, yes. And you know who's a good guide? David right now is a good guide. And here's what you see. God comes how? How is God coming to me in this space? He's sending a Jonathan. Look around. A Jonathan has come to you. That's one of the ways God comes. Sacred friendships. Because you don't have to live much life to figure out not everybody has God's favorable disposition towards you. Nope. That's not. That's an unrealistic expectation. But here's what can be realistic. God can come to us when we're on the receiving end of some hate, anger, rejection, Injustice, God comes where? A Jonathan. And when you find them, wow, what a gift that is. And you want to prioritize time with them. And that's what we're trying to do as a church around here. We want to see a whole bunch of that stuff spring forth. Chapter 19 gives us the second way God comes to David. Look at chapter 19 now, verse 1. Second way God comes to us in that space, doing good yet enduring evil. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. That's kind of day in the life right there. It's like, Saul, what's your agenda today? Kill David. Whew, fun day for David. Remember, he's the king, got the whole army. Like, yeah, that's not, that makes your life really rough. But Jonathan was very fond of David, their sacred friendship, and warned him. So he goes to David, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. And David's like, yep, same story, different day. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out, stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. And David's like, good luck with that. And David's like, well, how's that going to go? Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. When, when, why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason. So the second way God comes to us, first way God comes to us when we're doing good and enduring evil, first way is through sacred friendship. There's a Jonathan. 
The second way God comes and is at work in this space, it's, I, I phrase it this way, it's a, it's a character development thing he's doing in all this. Like, why put David through all this? I mean, he's the next king. God, you're the one that picked him. Why not just give him a little easier street than this? Why have him run for his life? And he just took out Goliath. I mean, that was a really big moment for the Israelites. Why make it so hard on this young man? It's about character development. There's a repeated phrase in this story that Saul says of David's life. He says this of David repeatedly. The Lord is with him. Isn't that interesting? All the way through. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. There's something in that. Because as we watch this story unfold, here's what you're going to see. I want you to look at the interior world of Saul, and here's what we're going to see. It's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. It's shriveling up. And the interior world of David, whose soul is just enlarging, whose heart is growing, whose passion for God is expanding. Not perfect. We're going to hit to plenty of mistakes in a bit. But he's got this enlarging of the inside of his life, contrasted with Saul, whose life is going to increasingly shrink and shrivel up. Because this is what you happen. This is what happens to us. When we give ourselves over to darkness, right? When you go down the path, you know the Lord doesn't want you to go down, and you keep indulging in the kinds of things Saul's indulging in. You go down that road, your life, your influence, your leadership, your heart, your passion, your direct, it just keeps shrinking. And eventually, as we're going to see, Saul's life ends. He's one of the four suicides in the Bible. It shrinks to the point of that. He takes himself out. And some of you know very well to that, that road because maybe you've been on that road recently or just come off that road or maybe you're in the trenches with someone who's on that road. You know when you're on that road of darkness and you're on that road of rebellion and you're on that road of resistance and you keep indulging that side of the equation, you keep going down, just shrinking, shrinking, shriveling, shriveling, and eventually some things are going to implode and break. I saw in this story. Contrast it with David's journey here, though. Like, David, in the midst of all that, here's what we're going to see with David. David's life's going to go the opposite way. He's going to be filled with more courage and more hope and more confidence in God, and his vision for God is going to grow while Saul's is shrinking. The life of Saul is increasingly becoming about Saul, Saul, and Saul. And the life of David continues to be bent and focused Godward over and over and over And so this is how, along the way, this is what we're going to see, right? So how God comes to us, how God works with us in this space is He's shaping some things on the inside of our life. He's strengthening the beams of our interior world. He's thickening up the scaffolding in here when we're in the middle of what David's in the middle of, when we're doing good, when we're doing the right thing, the noble thing, the God thing, we're seeking to honor God with it, and we're just bracketed by evil on all sides. What's happening in that space? It's all stuff in here. And there's a development of stuff in here that's going to be on display a little bit later down the road. But in the middle of it, still doesn't make it easier. There's nothing about this that's easy. David's life is not easy. It's God-centered. It's God-focused. It is not easy. He's running for his life. He's about to head out into the wilderness and live in caves. He's got people all, always after him. It's quite lonely. He's got Jonathan. God knew he'd need a friend like that. But it's, it's, a t- it's hard And some of you, that's right where you are. Life is really hard right now. Yes. And where is God in that space? Look up and look around, Jonathan. And then also say, well, where is God in that space? What's he doing in here? 
What's God doing in here? Because there's some strengthening work in here that in his wisdom and sovereignty, he says, you know what? That's exactly the circumstances David needs. And if we believe God really is in control, ultimately, then he knows right now what we're in the middle of is exactly what we need to be in the middle of to have him harvest out what he wants to harvest out. It's not the end of the story. It doesn't mean you'll be there forever. It's just my experience is I'm there a whole lot longer than I like to be. I just don't like staying in that space as long. Like, David's going to be in this space a whole lot longer than David wanted to be. I'm sure he thought from the moment he was anointed to the moment he took the, crown, the, the throne was a lot tighter time frame than what it's going to turn into. A lot longer, a lot slower, because it's this. He's doing some stuff in here. It's about developing the kind of man and kind of woman we're becoming David's learning to lean into God, to trust God, to call out to God. He's learning to let God be his defender. And the only way you learn that is when you're thrust into this space. The only way you let, learn to let God be your defender is when you're thrust into a bunch of space where you're going to want to defend yourself and go Saul on the story. When you get into that space and you go David's way, this is the stuff that gets built in us. That's the stuff in there. So David's learning, you know what? I'm going to let God be my defender. You know what? I'm going to let God protect and provide for me. I'm going to let God come through for me. I'm not going to take this into my own hands and try to do it in my own strength. I'm going to see God coming to me right there. And how important is that going to be when he takes the throne? Whew, that's big time stuff right there. And so perhaps in our own stories, whatever God's doing in your journey, whatever's next, whatever's on the horizon, whatever that next threshold is, just know right now, when you recognize not everyone around you has God's favorable disposition towards you. Not everyone likes you. Not everyone likes, yes, that's true. That's life. And you say, well, when I'm trying to do the right thing, the God thing, the honorable thing, the noble thing, yes. You're trying to do it the right way, and then what keeps happening? Injustice and betrayal and heartache and pain. And they said of Saul that Saul became a civil war. It's a good commentary on Saul's life. He became a civil war, and his whole thrust of his war was to take David out. He was jealous and angry and resentful and bitter, all of that, all directed towards David. And do you see the kind of character it takes to not internalize hate when you're on the receiving end of hate? To not internalize jealousy when you're on the receiving end of jealousy? To not internalize injustice when you're, how does that happen? How do you not internalize that? This stuff right here. You look around, you say, how's God coming to me? Jonathan. Jonathan helps him, helps David, not internalize Saul's hatred. Think of it this way. David internalized Jonathan's friendship to a degree that he never did Saul's hate. That only happens in this kind of space. So we're not going to lack for things coming against us that are just in the, that's not right. That's, yeah, that's part of what it means to live in our broken world. But here's what we can control. We can't control Saul and his actions toward us. Hear this now. We can control our response to Saul's situations. And so how's God coming? There's Jonathan somewhere. Reaching out, extend a hand to you. And then it's going to be about what's going on in here. God says, I'm building some stuff in here. I'm strengthening some stuff in here so you don't internalize all that stuff that's coming against you, that you're able to respond in a way that's honoring him. Even though your life is bracketed by evil, you can continue to honor him and live righteously before him. And in that space, God says, I'm here, I'm near, I'm present, I'm active, I have not forgotten you. It is hard, it's difficult, it's messy, 
but I'm in the middle of all of it. Welcome to David's life, which is welcome to all of our lives, right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I think about so many stories in this room and those listening online and and so many loved ones that our minds go to right now, so many in the middle of exactly what David's in right here, right now. It's just not right. We look around and we, it's just not right what's happening there. And it's so hard to be in the middle of that and not internalize it. And so I pray, Lord, you'd open our eyes to see how you're coming to us in that space when we're trying to do the right thing and yet we're just surrounded by all that's not right. Help us, Lord. Open our eyes to see a Jonathan, Lord. Send us a sacred friendship, O God. And thank you for those you've already sent. Thank you for those names and faces that came to our mind. Thank you for the Jonathans. And then help us. Help me, Lord, be a good Jonathan to others, to walk with others and sit with them and cry with them and counsel them and guide them. Help us, Lord, to be that kind of friendship and to be a community filled with sacred friendships, we pray. And then, God, would you, we just give you permission this morning to continue that work on the inside. When you look, you said your eyes search to and fro. You're looking on the inside. We might get enamored with the outside. You're looking deep within. So have your way. Strengthen, deepen our trust, our confidence in you. Open our eyes to see how you're at work in building the kind of man or woman you want us to become. Give us an energy and a strength and a wisdom and a grace to respond to the Saul realities in a God-honoring way. Guard us from internalizing the evil of the Saul's thrust against us. It's only going to be by your spirit that that happens. And we thank you for a real life like David, that you would preserve it for us. May our vision of you just get a little bit bigger through a morning like this, we pray in Jesus' name.